0: If you're a fan of this podcast and want to see it continue, help support us on Patreon, where you can unlock tons of exclusive content, including, but not limited to, movie commentaries, ad-free versions of our promo specials,
1: extended cuts, early access to new episodes, behind-the-scenes clips, first access to
2: merchandise,
1: blooper reels,
2: and even a chance to vote on what we cover next on our Podcasters Disassembled episodes. Just head right on over to Patreon.com slash Podcasters Assemble.
3: That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Podcasters Assemble.
0: Link in the show notes.
4: Podcasters assemble. assemble!
5: This is Kate from the Blob of the Hut podcast.
6: Hello, I'm Paul Salt from Screen Mayhem and One Good Thing
7: podcast. Hi. This is Arjuna Gonzalez from Peace Island. Eric Slater here from Epic Fails of History.
1: Chris Carroll from the Comic Zombie Podcast.
8: It's Matt and Buffalo from Upper Pylon 2, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. I'm Tyler
2: from The Coordinate, an Attack on Titan podcast.
4: This is Troidal Power from the Power Playthroughs Podcast with my thoughts on Star Wars Episode 9 The Rise of Skywalker.
3: Star Wars, Episode 9, The Rise of Skywalker. The dead speak, the galaxy has heard a mysterious broadcast. A threat of revenge in the sinister voice of the late Emperor Palpatine. General Leia Organa dispatches secret agents to gather intelligence, while Rey, the last hope of the Jedi, trains for battle against the diabolical First Order. Meanwhile, Supreme Leader Kylo Ren rages in search of the Phantom Emperor, determined to destroy any threat to his power.
5: My experience, first seeing Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker, ended up being a totally unexpected surprise because I was just going to do a fan event on opening night, but then kind of pretty much last minute, I won these tickets for a nine movie marathon at the El Capitan Theater, and that's in Hollywood. So they said, can you make it to Hollywood, and I was like, yes. So me and my brother kind of drove through the night, we made it there, and we got to close off the sequel trilogy with another movie marathon just like we did with The Force Awakens. So it was super fun to be able to see The Rise of Skywalker in such a cool, extravagant theater. And it's definitely something that I'll remember for a long time.
6: So I went and saw this in its opening weekend at the BFI IMAX in London, which graciously screened the film in 2D a few times. There's still time to realize 3D isn't great, and especially not in your format, BFI IMAX. But uh, yes, this is a good start, so thanks for that. Very exciting, already in the Christmas spirit. I was there with someone who had never been to the IMAX before, and she gasped when we first came in, so uh, that was fun. Uh, we got the excellent but enigmatic first eight minutes of uh, Christopher Nolan's Tenet beforehand, uh, so that had me excited. Uh, basically, I was all ready to go. I'd been drawn in by the marketing, I'd avoided all the reviews, and I was ready for my experience. Um, I had lots of faith in J.J. and his ability to sort of bring this to a satisfying, if not quite as revolutionary, close. So I know we always
8: kind of start out with, how did you first see in the movie? Well, I've seen it once. And it was the first Monday after opening weekend, the very first early morning showing. And the only real anecdote here is I had to tell a whole bunch of people uh, in front of me with their phones open, taking pictures of the movie to turn their phone off because it's blinding everybody behind them with the maximum brightness, you know. So there you go. There's a little anecdote there.
7: Uh, I have a buddy who lives up the road from me and has, like, his own organic farm and a big family, and no one else in that family is into sci-fi movies, so I make a point every once in a while to go with him whenever I need to see a movie for Casters Assemble in theaters, so he's the person I saw Captain Marvel with and Avengers Endgame and now Rise of Skywalker. For scheduling reasons, we had to be there at the 10.30 showing. And it's quite a drive from where we both live to the theater, so I had to use the Force, because I'm a night owl, to get out of bed, get dressed, showered, boot up Robo Gonzalez, and get over there. And I guess make the car fly over there, too, because the Force is OP now. And, like, we were some of the first people there, I think. And because, like, the driveway in front of the movie theater was completely empty, which makes sense, because who's going to go to a 10.30 showing on a Saturday morning, even for a new Star Wars movie? And then once we came out, the driveway was just completely packed, because everybody's there for the
2: 12.30. I saw this movie opening night. I didn't plan to. Um, I thought I was going to go see Cats, because my wife wanted to, but it wasn't playing in the theater near us, so we saw Star Wars instead. And I was super hyped for it. Um, I went in not knowing much. I had like one thing spoiled for me from Twitter. Uh I knew Chewbacca didn't die, which I didn't know that he was going to maybe die. So yeah. Um other than that, I was super excited. I just rewatched all the movies for this podcast, I'd listened to this podcast, I had edited this podcast, I'd spent so much time thinking about Star Wars that I was so excited so excited and my movie theater was having like a star wars fest um that's what they called it and uh they had like there's a guy dressed up as kylo ren and you could take pictures with him i didn't because there were only children taking pictures with him but i would have if like one other adult would have they had like food that was like star wars themed you know your blue milks and whatnot but yeah went in super excited and then i was so disappointed um everyone in my theater would laugh at everything that was supposed to be like dramatic like every reveal that was supposed to be dramatic people just laughed because they were like this is this is dumb
4: coming into this movie i was pretty dang excited um i i really liked the last jedi i liked it when i saw it in theaters i liked it when i watched it again i think it was cool how it kind of uh broke expectations On What a Star Wars movie could be. Um, I liked Luke's story arc in The Last Jedi. I liked that he was broken uh, and dismissive of the Jedi ways and the Force at the beginning of the movie and then he realized that that wasn't necessarily the way to be by the end of it. I really liked uh, the character of Rose that was introduced. I thought she was a lot of fun. Um, I I was a big fan of The Last Jedi. And Rise of Skywalker, I really didn't know much about. I knew Palpatine was going to be in it, or, or at least Ian McDermott's voice was in the trailer. Um, I, I watched one trailer, which I watched, uh, I did a reaction thing with Tyler for for this very show. And that's pretty much all I knew about it. So I went in fairly blind, and overall, I, I liked it. Yeah, I liked it. I liked it. Exclamation point. It wasn't perfect, but I liked it.
8: So, the high-level review of this movie, I think it was pretty okay to good. Now, like I said, I've only seen it once, so it's going to take some time to settle in what I really think about it. And really, talking through this might be how I kind of settle on a final opinion of it. But right off the bat, before I kind of go through some miscellaneous thoughts, I think it was a fun mess. I think they did do what I kind of feared would happen um, when the trailer started coming out or when I heard J.J. was coming back in. I do think they overcorrected to a degree to the very misplaced fan backlash that we saw came out about the last movie. They answered a lot of questions, but I don't think there were questions that needed to be answered. Like, why was Palpatine trying to get Luke to strike him down in uh, episode six? Uh, You know, to a degree here, I think it can be kind of borderline bad fan service. I mean, look at what's going on in The Mandalorian. There's a lot of fan service there, but I think it's pretty good. But like I said, I think there was those issues. But all in all, it was done pretty well. It's a very good, fun,
1: entertaining movie, Episode 9. It's very entertaining. I think... It's got a Herculean task in front of it as far as wrapping up the saga. Um, I don't think that they should have put that on it. I think it should have been wrapping up the trilogy. Uh, So I
0: kind of love this movie. I, you know, as I was walking out of the theater, I was, I I was a little conflicted because there was a couple things I was like, I don't know how I feel about that. But I think part of it was that there was just so much going on in this movie. The pacing was so fast. I feel like I got to watch it like five more times to really get a true opinion. So these are just some initial thoughts. Obviously, it's far from perfect, but none of the Star Wars movies really are, like, masterpieces. I think there were some issues with the pacing. I I think they tried to, like, cram too much into the first act of this movie. There was a lot of exposition to cover. Uh, So, yeah, I don't know. I feel like the movie ultimately made up for it, but um, I was a little nervous at first. I
6: was like, oh, no. (laughs) So I spent the first 20 minutes waiting for it to slow down. It felt like they were rushing. And compared to The Last Jedi, characters were just not talking to each other, and these emotions were not landing at all with me. Even the supposed death of Chewbacca, which was obviously a fake, and just did nothing to me. I just, I was trying to think of, often I was thinking, what am I meant to be feeling here, and why aren't I? And it's just because everything felt quite rushed, and hurried, and insincere, is how it often felt. And, um, then I started to get irritated by how cowardly and uninspired the plot was, not to mention a couple of retcons I wasn't that happy with, uh, and then I got bored. Uh, then the climax was silly, in a way that I found fairly entertaining, and then it ended. So I got home, joylessly wrote up my three-star review, and then started thinking about what I would have done differently. And in thinking about that, I do believe that the bones of a good film are there, because I guess, yeah, you know, three stars, that's not bad, because I don't consider it to be a bad film, it's just, a very disappointing one. And it does squander a great deal of potential. Just lose the Emperor, lose Rey's parents, and that whole bit, and that motivation. Lose Lando, don't lose Rose. Focus on Kylo and Ray, which should be the interesting part of all this. This, this needs to be a film about Ray and Kylo. Light and dark. Instead, it's about... What actually is this about? S- succinctly family like a fast and furious movie i feel like the movie might have been a little bit better if they
0: gave it some breathing room uh you know to really let some details sink in because i'm still a little confused with what the subplot was about the MacGuffin and where they had to go and not that it really mattered ultimately but you know this this kind of stuff will probably grow on me the more i watch it
4: Right off the bat, this movie was a little strange just because of the uh, opening crawl saying that the Emperor's back, like he's announced his presence to the world. I thought that was an interesting way to go, that like, that's just happened off screen. Um, That surprised me a little bit. I think it surprised me mostly because uh, The Last Jedi was such an immediate follow-up to Force Awakens, and this movie has clearly, big things have happened in between, um, episode 8 and Episode 9. I found out later that apparently the Emperor's announcement message came in Fortnite, of all places. I remember hearing during the Video Game Awards, Jeff Keighley announcing that like there was going to be a special Star Wars event in Fortnite. But I thought it was just some footage from the movie was going to be shown. But then apparently at the end of it, they played the Emperor's message saying like that, that, hey, I, hey, I'm Emperor Palpatine and I'm not dead, y'all. I'm here. So that that's weird. The opening
1: crawl reveals that Emperor Palpatine has survived the events of Return of the Jedi, but I have a, I have a problem with the fact that he survived first of all, because I feel like that completely, not only retcons, like what episodes seven and eight were building to uh, and making them feel different and new at the same time, like revisiting, but it makes it feel like, Oh no, this is just cause like Luke and Vader failed. And as much as I love me some Palpatine and by the way, he is freaking great in this movie in my opinion, the high point of the film is his performance. Yeah. Um, and just so creepy. We'll get into him. But but the, the fact that they, that they brought him back, I felt was a bit of a cheat until I saw the film. Yeah. Um, but the fact that they reveal it in the opening crawl was... And I kn- look, I know Star Wars does that. They jump ahead in the movies like, hey, this is what's going on now to catch you up. And I do kind of like that they drop you into the action that way. But that's a big-ass reveal. That would be like if, if uh, Return of the Jedi started off with Luke Skywalker has left the planet Dago or the Dagobah system to go save his friends at Cloud City. Han Solo has been frozen. Uh, Oh, by the way, Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker's father and he's been defeated while the Empire's on the run. You'd be like, hold the hell up. That is a huge, huge piece of information to just drop on me. And that's what they did here.
8: I think it raises bigger questions. Like, really, was Anakin the one, according to that prophecy, that brought balance to the Force? here because he didn't kill Palpatine like at all and it's a real stretch to say well he you know caused Kylo Ren at some point somehow and that he was the one that balanced it not really because Ray did it so I don't quite get why they needed to do that yeah it wraps up some questions that nobody was really asking and it hurt the prophecy from the original of you know <laughs> Obi-Wan Kenobi screaming, you were the chosen one. Well, he was, but just later, eh, well, whatever. At least they wanted on just crazy coolness around his character in that world.
2: So I don't think there were too many quotes in this movie that stood out for me as being, like, good. I think over time we'll see a lot that are, like, meme-worthy, like you have with the prequels. Uh, But one line that stood out as being really bad... Was when poe is explaining to like the resistance what's happening and he's like palpatine's back somehow he literally says palpatine is back somehow and that is just such poor writing and i (laughs) it was so bad that it was good
4: um but then from that we get kylo ren tracking down emperor palpatine and going to like this massive Sith temple on this ancient forgotten Sith world. And I thought that was awesome because that temple structure, it looked like the kind of things that I've seen in Star Wars media for a long time in, in the comics and the TV shows and the video games. But it's not the kind of thing you really see in the movies that often or or at all really. So seeing a Sith temple was was really cool and then finding out that not only is the Emperor not dead, but he's got like this massive fleet of Star Destroyers. I mean, that was was a pretty cool, like hey, here it is. Here's everything, right off the bat. This is what the conflict is going to be. I kind of liked it.
5: Favorite Dark Side moment? um, I think it's towards the beginning when Palpatine reveals his hidden Star Destroyer fleet. So, it just was kind of a very visually cool moment. And you know uh, Palpatine's not playing. He's had these evil plans in the works for decades now and he's finally ready to reveal himself
1: there's some just jaw-dropping moments in this movie
6: where you're like you kind of forgive some of the stuff that doesn't make any damn sense at all my favorite dark side moment is again a contradiction for me as pandering and unnecessary as the emperor's appearance in this film is his actual appearance is one of my favorite aspects of the production and by appearance i mean his look he looks unsettling like cold and damp, like a wretched ghoul. And that bizarre lighting effect where he seems to move slightly every time there's a flash of light, it's really disconcerting. I liked that. Um, it could have just been Snoke's ghost, though. Snoke's ghost. Could have been a Snoke ghost.
8: Again, I think I kind of talked about a lot in the prequels. Maybe the best part of it was Ian McDiarmid's uh, Palpatine. He is, of course, amazing. And here, he's even more amazing. So if they insisted on bringing something back from those originals, Palpatine. Thank goodness they have this guy doing it. Because now you have I you know practically the third version of him. I love that goofiness that you saw in his character in the prequels. I don't know how to describe him in the originals because he wasn't there for most of it, but kind of manipulative, stoic the person in the background kind of arch caricature of a character almost and then here he is supremely creepy and you know scary and that whole thing around him like i kind of fundamentally don't think he probably should have been in this movie but when they did bring him in he killed it that whole fortress world of his the the actual fortress the world the setting it's a great visual And I'll kind of even let slide the absolute shameless plot, convenience, contrivance of (laughs) how they had to set up the big victory at the end. And all those followers, sycophants, cult, uh, religious cult around him that you see in that arena, always cloaked in the shadows. It really was a cool visual. And I'll be tempted when I get it home to, you know, crank up the brightness on the TV to see it a little bit more.
4: On the side of the light, I thought the intro was a little bit rougher. Um, they did they did the best they could to work around the fact that Carrie Fisher passed away. And I think maybe it was just the meta-knowledge that she had passed away before this was shot that made this an issue for me, but the whole intro scene where they're setting up the what the rebellion's gonna be doing, it just it all seemed weird to me and not well put together. And and like every shot of Princess Leia or General Organa, I guess she is at this point, every shot of her was from the exact same angle. It was clear that they had like one scene that they had footage from that they were using um, to, to make all this. And I, it just, it didn't seem like they did a great job of incorporating her. I understand it was necessary to get Leia into the story and I like what happens with her later in the movie, but during this intro bit, it all felt a bit uh, kind of haphazardly put together, I guess.
8: I think unfortunately what they did was very obvious here and maybe quite a bit wonky having to deal with her death in the situation. I think it's transparent that scraps of dialogue from previous movies or deleted scenes or alternate takes were used to craft scenes around. And I don't think it works super well, but they totally, totally, totally get a free pass here. It's a terrible situation one of the most important characters in the entire franchise of course she had to be there so you have to make do with what you have but if I think if you look past at just the wonkiness they get the right intent of the character it does ultimately work I think
5: this movie of course has more great droid action and my favorite quote from this is from Leia who tells Rey never underestimate a droid good advice and then she repeats it later on. <laughs> she seems to have learned the lesson. So
4: Leia ends up um sacrificing herself in this movie. My read on it is that she realized that um if she let herself go, it would distract Kylo Ren long enough for Rey to get through to him. And she gets through to him physically by stabbing him. But then she also gets through to him emotionally because rather than killing him after that, she uses the force to heal him and helps him realize that there really is good in him still. And that's furthered by Han Solo showing up, which is something I did not expect at all in this movie. Um, and it it got me. I got to tell you, as, as a new dad, we left our baby home to go see this movie. Uh, we left him with grandma so we could go see it. And that scene kicked my ass it was real good her reaching out to her son one last time
8: after kind of a losing that hope in the last movie with luke coming in and trying to spark it back again is a direct re- does directly result in what we we're going to call more or less his redemption and it was great and then her disappearing and becoming one with a force at the end with her son was very appropriate and i think super tasteful here
7: my favorite music cue i think i have to give that to the whole sequence of leia reaching out to ren as she's dying and the shot as well of r2d2 standing over her first it's kind of helped out that for the a long period of time as that lightsaber duel leading up to it is going on there's no music uh, it helps create, I don't know, some kind of tension. I'm not a, I'm not a film person, but it, it that helps the impact of it later on. And of course, it's especially gut wrenching in light of Carrie Fisher passing away. I'll admit, I think both Robo Gonzalez and I teared up a little bit when that played.
6: Now the music, best music moment. I barely noticed the music in this film. Isn't that sacrilege? But. I think there's a moment after Ben redeems himself that we hear the excellent Kylo Ren music um, that you hear in the um, sort of previous films, but in a positive version. It's like a heroic incarnation of that theme. Um, And it sounds great. I cannot remember what exactly is on screen at the time that we hear that.
5: I think my favorite light side moment was that flashback we get towards the end with Luke training Leia. That's something I wanted to see for a really long time is Leia... Training to be a Jedi, how cool would that have been if she actually had turned out to be a Jedi? But I was glad just to see the visualization of it, and that made me very happy.
1: And I was like, God, because on one hand, that is so freaking perfect, and I loved every second of it. On the other hand, I wanted that movie, as I said last time, or in 7, like, and I always wanted to see what came after. And what came after was Luke rebuilding the Jedi Order, starting with his sister. And it really bummed me out that they didn't make these movies 20 years ago before, you know, or like when they made the prequels, because you could have still used Carrie Fisher and Mark Hamill and been like, yeah, they're in their, you know, late forties or whatever, but they're Jedi. Um, So I don't know, but just that brief moment of seeing Leia and Luke. First of all, seeing, I know it was CGI or whatever. At least Leia was definitely CG. (laughs) Um, And Hamill had been like de-aged
8: or whatever. But that looked awesome. I don't think they needed to do any of that stuff about showing her training as a Jedi. We didn't need any of that.
6: My favorite vehicle, I guess, would be the uh, sailor things that they ride around on, on the desert planet. That's quite a fun action sequence. And
7: yeah, they were pretty cool. My favorite light side moment, and I would also say this goes from my favorite dark side moment. Tyler or Troy, I reject your framework and substitute my own, because the moments that stick out to me that involve the light side or the dark side don't really relate specifically to the light side or the dark side, but just the extent to which, like in The Last Jedi, they make me think, this is some Dragon Ball Z shit or this is some Final Fantasy 6 Sabin suplexing a train shit. <laughs> and the first moment that really stuck out to me and gave me that kind of reaction was when Rey leaps up into the air and lightsabers the wing of Ren's ship just like in the last jedi i was like okay sure we've established in the previous movies that the force can make people lift stuff out of thin air and yeah okay fine the force the force does that now i think one of the
4: coolest dark side moments actually didn't come from uh, from one of the dark uh, Jedi that we see. It didn't come from the Knights of Ren. It came from Rey, where she and uh, and Kylo are both struggling to um, kind of take control of this uh, troop carrier that's flying away with, oh, it's got Chewbacca in tow, and they're both, like, fighting over controlling it, and Rey just, like, unleashes and shoots out a ton of forced lightning and blows the dang thing up, and, oh, my God, she killed Chewbacca the Wookiee! And, th- and then you find out in the like next scene that she did. But for just a second, I was sitting there going, you know, the one thing I need this movie not to do is I needed to not kill Chewbacca the Wookiee, and the second thing I needed not to do is blow up the Millennium Falcon. And for just a second, I thought that they killed Chewbacca the Wookiee, and the fact that she was force landing to do it was really cool because I was telling my wife afterwards, I'm like. When you play a video game where you can choose light side and dark side choices and the powers you get depend on the choices you make, you always choose at least a little bit of dark side just so you can get Force lightning because that's cool and it only happens if you put points in the dark side. I mean, I knew
2: Chewbacca didn't die because I saw spoilers on Twitter beforehand. But it was still a really good moment. And Daisy Ridley like did a really good job and, of, and John Boyega of like, showing emotion that they care that chewbacca died and then they instantly reveal that chewbacca isn't dead and then they stop caring like when they talk about chewbacca they're like i I think someone literally says like if if we don't do this then chewbacca died for nothing not you know like you know like ray murdered him like it's not like he died for some noble cause that was weird
1: leads me to my other biggest complaint about the movie is the illusion of stakes and the illusion of consequences chewbacca should be dead let's just say it ray blew up the prisoner transport it was the only prisoner transport shown to the audience so it's the only prisoner transport what there was another one hidden behind some rocks for some reason and that's the one he happened to be on that is asinine it's really stupid And I'm sorry, I'm glad Chewie's not dead, don't get me wrong, I love me some Chewbacca. It's a good thing that he did all of nothing for the rest of the movie. I'm not sure why he survived that scene. Other than that, I feel like they filmed it, and then maybe Disney came back and went, well, you can't have Ray be the one that killed Chewie! And it's like, yeah, because that would give stakes and consequences, and and really raise the, the level of threat to everything in this movie. Instead, it's like, Chewie's dead! 90 seconds later, Chewie's alive! C-3PO can't remember anything. We lost our buddy. Sees R2D2 for five seconds. Hey, it's C-3PO.
7: My favorite minor character. I don't know if it's quite a minor character. Um, I did like the droid that they introduce. Uh, on Ochi's ship that BB-8, you know, recharges. Uh, once they've taken off, uh, it's good. Robo Gonzalez and I agree. It's good to see a slightly larger droid cast. Um, that droid has, I think, some of the same energy as BB-8. I will say I'm a little surprised that they didn't incorporate Baby Yoda somehow into the movie. I mean, I haven't seen The Mandalorian. Maybe there's a reason that Baby Yoda wouldn't be there, but... If it's gone so viral, why wouldn't she work it into the movie? Maybe they just didn't anticipate Baby Yoda being as popular... I don't don't know. Uh, hey guys, uh, Arjuna here. Yeah, Robo Gonzalez would give his favorite droid moment, but ever since we got back from the movie, he's been doing this bad R2-D2 impression. Uh, not really sure what to do here. Wait a minute. He's got something jammed in there real good. Maybe I can get it out. Is that a Cat? Whoa! A cat hologram? What's its name? It's cute! Wait a minute. Yeah. If I reset the config files in this translation matrix, maybe I can get this into English. Uh, yeah. Favorite droid moment. Um, I'll give an honorable mention to when BB-8 launches the Sulphur Flare during that skimmer chase across totally not Tatooine, totally not Jakku. I-, I love those little moments where the droid, you know, manages to do one little thing as all of the humans are too busy shooting, and that saves the day, or that d- does, like, a critical turn in the battle. But I gotta give it to the sequence where C-3PO, they're about to wipe his memory so that they can get at the, whatever, encrypted Sith language or what have you. And he says, I wanted to take one last look at my friends. You know, C-3PO has been a bit of a stuck-up jerk in most of the past episodes, and I've given him a lot of crap for that, but, like, this is the first Star Wars movie where I can say without any qualifications that I like him.
4: I think my favorite minor character from this movie is the new droid that they introduced. Listen, it feels a little bit like he's here just to sell product because there's no reason that they couldn't have C-3PO able to translate the the writing on the thing properly and get them the directions they need properly on his own. You just put Dio in here, this this little one-wheel droid, just so you can sell toys of him. But you know what else he did? He was a consent droid. He, every time somebody tried to touch him, he would back away and say, no, thank you. And as a person who often doesn't want to be touched in public, like I'm the opposite of a free hugs shirt. Like my wife actually got me a pin that said, like, don't touch me unless you ask first. So, yeah, the fact that Dio like asserts himself is like, hey, no, thank you. When people try and touch him, I like it. He's good. I will say, yeah, that's probably my least favorite new
0: character, the droid. Well, and he was redundant. There was already a bunch of droids in this movie, and he he didn't really serve a purpose. You know what I mean? Like, wow. like that was... It was just unnecessary.
5: Obviously, Dio is one of my favorites in this, but I gotta go with Babu Frick for my favorite minor character. I have a feeling I'm not the only one, too. Um, he's just such a quirky, strange little guy. I love him, and I want to see... Like a animated series with Babu Frick fixing all the droids, that would be the best thing in the world.
2: My favorite minor character, I don't know his name, but he was the yellow squid guy. Uh, he wasn't really a squid. I don't know what I don't know what to describe. him. he was like the weird yellow alien dude who was just hanging out with Poe and the crew on the Millennium Falcon, and he got like very little. Backstory, No explanation. He was just there. And I love that he had no explanation for being there. Like, where they meet him? Who knows? He's just like, everyone accepts that he is, he belongs on that ship. No one
8: questions it. My favorite minor character is, uh, Rose. Yeah. Thanks for that, JJ. I really did love the character of Rose in the last movie. I so don't get the criticism of her. I think she was a huge bit of heart in that movie. Genuine. Just genuine heart. And here, it feels like this is one of those fan backlash corrections where they let the toxic fans win. Here, I think she has roughly, literally, one or two minutes of screen time. And I would have loved to see her have more of a meaningful contribution. I know the writers did come out and say that they did intentionally sideline her. That they wanted her to be there more with Leia, but like CGI didn't work. Well, write it different then. They claim they love her. Make her a part of the movie. I'm just spitballing here. Maybe to have her have a meaningful contribution. Carrie Russell's character of Zori was kind of ultimately pointless. Did she just exist to make it seem like there wasn't a love connection between Poe and Finn? Here, I don't think she served much of a purpose other than give some kind of jokey background on Poe, which I don't think anybody really needed. That's, again, an answer to a question that nobody wanted. Maybe Rose could have been the one to facilitate the meeting with, you know, uh, C-3PO and Babu Frick. By the way, the best character of the movie. Again, Rose had tons of heart here. And that was so much of the idea of what the Resistance is. It's his heart and love will pull us through, family, all that. I think that should and deserve to be preserved more in this movie than what it was.
4: I really liked Kylo Ren and Rey's interactions in The Last Jedi, where they were like talking to each other across great distances using the Force. And I love how that evolves in this movie to them actually using the Force to, like, physically interact with each other. They did a little bit of that in Last Jedi, but this, they do it constantly. They have, like, lightsaber battles where she's on a ship and he's on a planet, but they're able to, like, interact with each other, and, and I've got to wonder what that looks like for people just watching one of them. Like, is Kylo Ren just swinging his lightsaber around on the planet? I don't know. But the fact that they're able to do that, I think, is a cool evolution of the kind of conversations they had before, and the fact that, like, he finds out where she's at repeatedly by pieces of the environment moving from her world to his world. It's just really cool. It's freaking magic. I do not make any sense from the like sci-fi perspective, but these are fantasy films and from the fantasy perspective, it's cool as heck. Hux also,
8: I think, was a big waste here. I don't know what the point of his character was in the movie at all and why, you know, General or whatever Admiral Pride was necessary at all seems like Hux could have stepped up a little bit more the movie just screams like something in that first act was edited out where Hux would have been more involved like yeah I know he was like embarrassed and I said it like too I think in the last podcast that he was embarrassed by Ren but I don't know why that necessarily should show why he is this traitor now like i think that something's missing there and no i don't want to have to read you know accessory comic books or expanded novels or go to a disney ride to understand why this character was
4: this it should have been there i do like a lot when ray goes back to luke's uh his, his island hideaway. She's like, I'm going to be a hermit just like you. I'm going to throw this lightsaber away. And I think the line he has, because she tries to, to chuck in the fire, is a Jedi's weapon deserves more respect. And that feels a little bit like J.J. is spitting in the face of Ryan Johnson having Luke throw the lightsaber over his shoulder in the last movie. But it also fits with Luke's character, because in the last movie, Luke didn't feel like a Jedi's weapon deserved more respect. He was done with the Jedi. He was done with the Force. He was done with all of it. And through the course of the last movie, he realized that that's not really what he should be doing. And so it, it totally fits, but it did feel a l- little bit of a wink, wink, nudge, nudge to the people who are pissed about Luke throwing the lightsaber away. And I don't know. I don't feel like we really need to, to, to do that. We don't need to bend our will to those people. Come on. Come on, JJ.
5: In The Last Jedi, we get that very conspicuous um, shot of... The sunken X-wing, and I thought that was a cool shot. But I thought for sure we would get to see something more, like what happened in the Rise of Skywalker. So I was happy to see that finally fulfilled. See Luke being able to lift it, which is a good callback to Episode Five, and then seeing Rey pilot the X-wing with her little um, helmet on was a good callback to Episode Seven. When she's on the desert of Jakku with that old X Wing helmet. So, very cool to see the classic X Wing back in action.
1: Seeing Luke's old X Wing, yeah, yeah, that was awesome. That was really yeah. cool. And the way, like, the, the whole sequence where he got brought back was another awesome light side moment of Luke. She's trying to, like, repeat his mistakes and him going, like, What are you? Don't be an idiot. Here's my ship. And that Smirky he gives her, like, Hey, I'm a badass. What can I say? Yeah, exactly. Uh, God I love Luke Skywalker.
4: I got so many chills when luke lifted the x-wing out of the waters and then we see ray in the rebel helmet flying the x-wing just like she wore the rebel helmet while she was sitting in the deserts of jakku back in force awakens Rey, ray ray wearing the helmet that she wore when she was sitting back on the desert on jakku and now she's wearing it for real while flying luke's x-wing ah uh, that did it for me so good
6: best light side moment does come out of a thing that I didn't like which is the retread of the whole Return of the Jedi daring our main character to strike the Emperor down and become evil whilst the Emperor explains why our hero should not do that but when Rey reaches back with the saber uh, in order to hit the Emperor and then she kind of sneakily force passes it to Ben who is fighting with the Knights of Ren who are nothing in, in this incidentally the Knights of Ren after so I know people complained about Captain Phasma. at least she had dialogue and a purpose to you know represent Finn's great dragon in the first order, the knights have rendered nothing in this, they just hung around and then Ben killed them. Oh, Anyway, it's a very fun visual gag, the passing of the lightsaber, that they set up earlier is consistent with the rules and that I didn't see coming until just when it happened, which is perfect timing for that. Um, And Ben's little shrug after he does it is one of the few charming character moments that I, I really responded to. Uh, so my favorite light
0: side moment has to be uh, that moment where Ray is in the emperor's throne room. Uh, it's looking absolutely hopeless. And Palpatine is like egging her on, you know, to strike him down and join her as the new Empress, which I thought was a really cool concept, by the way. And instead it's like, wait, what is she going to do? What's her option here? She's trapped. Yeah. Uh, and instead she, she takes the lightsaber, puts it behind her back, and drops it into kylo's hand which was crazy i mean that's sort of a new ability that they they kind of uh showcased in this movie um but i thought it really worked i thought it worked really well and it kind of kind of tied into the whole force projection clearly kylo and ray have this this weird connection and it kind of makes sense with the reveal of her being spoiler a palpatine uh palpatine Vader had that kind of connection uh so you know
1: maybe raise a Skywalker, maybe raise a Kenobi. Yeah. The fact that she's a Palpatine is pretty awesome. But, like, who, presumably and hopefully for their mother, and I, unless they're clones, which is entirely possible, at least his son would be, hopefully for the mother of that child, if they were biologically conceived, it happened before Mace Windu's attack. <laughs> Ass-crack face Palpatine, <laughs> or, like, ashy powder version of Palpatine <laughs> from Jedi, where he's like, oh, I'm no. 5,000 years old. Uh... Hopefully they don't... <laughs> oh, oh yeah. no. I just, the fact that it was like, she's his biological granddaughter. I was like, oh, uh, uh, that'd be like, <laughs> I've got Jabba the Hutt's baby. Like, no!
8: Don't love having to make Rey a blood descendant of Palpatine. Yeah, I guess it helps with this very foggy bond between her and Kylo. It gives it a bit more weight, I suppose. But with the vagaries of the Force... I don't think that's necessary. You could just say that it was they were destined to be together. You know, you don't have to make it a blood relationship. And like Finn is evidently force sensitive too. So does that mean that because everybody has to be related in this, does he have to be a blood relative of Mace Windu or something silly like this? Nah, it took a little bit of that magic away of like seeing that kid at the end of the, the last jedi that it could be anybody that can shape the universe here again it makes what could be like this bigger and bigger and bigger story get a little bit smaller and smaller and smaller no not anybody can change the universe it has to be blood descendants of like these two or three people
6: that kind of stunk In terms of quotes i liked there is one that has actually stayed with me and that's that's how they win by making you feel like you're alone And after a recent election here in the UK, that is something I can really relate to, and um, it's a very hopeful quote, a very meaningful one. What if that had been the point of the movie? What if Rey was actually this whole time questing for some sort of force power that might stop the First Order in Kylo Ren, and is being drawn to the dark side because they have all the destructive powers, um, and nearly succumbs to it so that she can save her friends, but then along the way she learns two important force powers that the light side have going for them. One is healing which is ultimately what she uses to turn Ben back towards the light and in her darkest moment where it seems like she's been defeated and that her friends were all gonna die and she reaches out to the stars instead of just finding a bunch of cameos that you have to google when you get home she finds a whole bunch of people like her she like feels them in the same way she can feel everything in the last jedi scared people and first order ships who actually want to rebel but are afraid because they think they're alone because that's how they win. And then she discovers a truly beautiful light side um, power, which is the ability to maybe let them hear each other, in the same way that Kylo Ren and her have been connected this whole time. She's able to tr- sacrifice a tremendous amount of her sort of life energy to put them all in touch with each other, and says to them all, Be with me! In the same way she's been saying throughout the whole film, and a bunch of the First Order soldiers suddenly realize they're not alone, and they turn sides. But I mean, that's how they win. Not by destroying what they hate, but by protecting, by, by protecting what they love most—hope and each other—and they inspire, and it inspires hope all across the First Order fleet. And that's how, ultimately, First Order is defeated. Now nah, we we'll just, just melt the Emperor again with his own lightning. He can never turn off.
4: On the Sith planet, we, uh, we get this like all-out space battle going on, while there's this quiet one-on-one, or almost one-on-one battle going on on the planet, just like we got in Return of the Jedi. This is very heavy echoes of that, but it's good, and I like it, and I like that they do some creative things with it, like the, uh, the rebels having to do a ground assault on a star destroyer is, it's super cool, like, seeing them on the side of a ship. I just played a video game where this happened recently, and I've, like, been struggling to remember what it was. Maybe in *Timefall 2 there was something like this? I don't know. Maybe Was it in Force Unleashed 2? I don't know. Some game I played recently had a thing like this where it was assault on the side of a ship where you're standing on the outside of a spaceship. And it's just cool as heck. And it looked cool here. The only complaint I have about this is that Rose didn't get a bigger role in this ground assault. Rose really felt sidelined in this movie. And and just like the line where Luke says, you know, Jedi's weapon deserves more respect. It felt like Rose was sidelined specifically because of people who complained about her last time around. And I think that sucks uh i really do i I like the new girl that they introduced that finn hangs out with uh, the other former stormtrooper the new girl that they introduced that poe knows is fine i don't like i feel like she's there just to be like poe's not gay see he had an ex-girlfriend whatever um but yeah it, it felt like rose was sidelined just so that people couldn't complain about her and i think that sucks
5: So of course another John Williams movie. This music is sensational. So many good tracks on the soundtrack and actually you can just on all of them you can feel the love that John Williams has put into it. And there's even in the little insert there's a little note from John Williams and he talks about how Star Wars has been one of the highlights of his professional life. I think my favorite track on there is the Rise of Skywalker theme. It's definitely a new track, but there's parts of it that echo themes like a little bit of Anakin's theme, a little, I think Jedi steps, maybe. What else? Oh, Ray's theme. So it's just a really nice melody and, you know, obviously with the theme you hear it throughout the movie. So that's my favorite.
4: Probably the best musical moment, maybe the best musical moment in all of Star Wars, but probably uh, definitely the best in this movie is for me. It's when uh, Poe is leading the assault on all the Star Destroyers and he's feeling overwhelmed and he's like talking on the intercom that the intercom he's talking on the radio and he's saying, like, I thought we could do it. I thought I thought we had a chance, but there's just so many of them. I don't know what we're going to do. And then you hear this like crackling over the headset and then Lando Calrissian says, on your left and then all these portals open up that Doctor Strange opened up to let all of the Avengers and the Warriors from Wakanda and the Guardians of the Galaxy all come pouring through at the same time listen Disney did this twice okay you hear Lando on the radio and then Finn flies up and oh my gosh there's just all these ships and I literally have goosebumps talking about it right now and they did the same dang thing in Avengers this year and you know what it worked it worked both times I can't even be mad about it. It's just it's just good. It, ugh, It's so good. And you know what? I was playing Legend of Zelda after I watched this movie. I was playing Legend of Zelda Hyrule Warriors, and I was at the final battle in that game, and you know what happens? Somebody's like, oh my gosh, we're so overwhelmed. We need some help. And then a bunch of portals opened up, and everybody that you fought with throughout the entire game showed up to help you out. This works for me every time. I don't care that it's tropey as heck. It was good as hell, and hearing the Star Wars fanfare play over it, Mm. Mm -mm -mm.
8: here i'm going to express some genuine disappointment now in the movie and that's i'm such a starship spaceship design nerd and i am disappointed in this movie that there seemed to be a really genuine lack of it here this was their first really major space battle in this current franchise And I would have loved to have seen them go bonkers. I mean, they literally have 10,000 ships or something, you know, outrageous at the end. Sadly, we only get, like, maybe that troop lander that the Resistance uses, uses, that was a new design. But so, so, so much of that uh, uh, Resistance fleet that shows up are all reuses. Of older ships. I mean, yeah, it's cool seeing the ghost from uh, Rebels on here. But so much of it else is just like reuses of a lot of stuff that we've seen before. And that even goes to the Sith fleet. Man, I would have loved to have seen them design a unique ship. Here, with like that planet killer in there. Don't just make it, which it was apparently, like a scaled up version of the original Star Destroyers. Like, have it be... I don't know, the very simplistic space frame of one of them with a giant gun on it. I don't know, something different. I think here, J.J. way too often defers back to the classics, when he could have done something new. Uh, I'm just kind of a stickler here. I I think it was a missed opportunity. Oh well. Uh, When they go to the
1: planet that's under Imperial occupation, so they can get the translation of C-3PO from Poe's old spice running mate, so many problems with that sentence, but the um the girl he meets, who's got the helmet and everything, the face mask. When he meets the purple power ranger, she, when, when they when they're parting ways, he invites her, please come join this fight, come join me, and she's like I can't, you know, my place is here kinda of thing. She gives him her captains chip that's like, Oh this is my one way off of this planet, out of Imperial, you know, or first order rule or whatever. This is my way out. I'm giving it to you, Poe, because you need it. And this is my sacrifice. In turn, her planet is destroyed by one of the the Final Order ships. So when they're doing the weapons demonstration to show everybody, like, Hey, hey, you're still screwed. It's been like 35 years and we're still blowing up planets with single shots. Um, And her planet gets destroyed. And it's a bummer because she sacrificed her life and the lives of her comrades so that Poe, Finn, Rey, and gang could get where they needed to go and, and have a chance to win this war finally. But then... Because we can't have any consequences and we can't have any stakes. When the big party shows up, all the people that ignored Princess freaking Leia show up for Lando. You know, the guy that they kind of heard of after the second battle of Death Star. Um, Don't get me wrong, I'm sure he's a hero too. But they didn't come for Leia when she's like, I'm about to die, you didn't come. But Lando shows up with the Millennium Falcon like, hey yo, it's time. And everybody shows up. That's a different problem. But when everybody shows up, she's one of them. How in the name of the force did she get off of that planet? It's just, it's not even addressed. It's just like, we're so happy to see you in the moment. We now, if you're paying very close attention to the movie, you'll catch that and go, what the hell? But most people aren't paying that close attention. They're caught up in the story. And so you don't even notice it. And if you do, the director is counting on you going like you know what i'm invested enough it doesn't matter just like the the moment in jaws where they shoot the scuba tank that wouldn't explode it's air not you know nitrous um but like steven spielberg says if i have the audience here they won't care and i feel like this happened with jj who's as spielberg a clone as there is he got to the point where like they'll be so happy chewbacca's alive they won't care that it doesn't make any damn sense They'll be so happy to see this girl. They're like, oh, Poe's girlfriend or whatever is still alive. I don't know why we'd be so happy, but uh, maybe Poe would be so happy. Who cares? Um, but that's that's my biggest complaint is, you know, there are nitpicks everywhere. Like we talked about the opening crawl, spoiling a bunch of stuff that really should have been shown, Tell you know, show, don't tell. Yeah. But the illusion of stakes, the fact that, like, they keep upping the ante and then immediately undercutting it and going, like, just kidding, that doesn't matter. It really makes the movie feel like disjointed i guess and when you get to the big finale which we'll get to um it's kind of hard to give it any um a- a- any real oomph you know it doesn't have that big moment like luke going to face vader and the emperor where you're like damn luke's probably gonna die you know the first time you see that movie and we all saw it when we were a little more than likely so it's easy to forget but when you see that you're like man he could very well lose this fight he is way over his head um and same thing here like they are way over their heads um but you don't get that sense of like, they're really in for it now. Even when they kind of do die, you're like, eh, nothing's going to happen because they keep undercutting the stakes.
2: One of my least favorite things about this movie was that they, they were just like an infinite number of Death Stars, essentially. All of the Star Destroyers are Death Stars now, and I just don't care anymore in these movies when I see a planet blow up. Um, and I think that's a huge problem like it we saw I don't even know the name of the planet we saw it blow up and I don't care it doesn't matter all the people that we sort of know from it got out so what's it matter all these planets blow up no one grieves no one cares it makes the universe seem so empty where with the prequels we see so much life no planets get blown up (laughs) Um, I just I feel like that's one thing the sequels did really bad. Um, episode eight had a bit of Death Star stuff in it. That like battering ram laser thing at the end was like miniaturized Death Star equipment. And I think that's what I'd like to see in the future. Instead of blowing up planets for no reason, like I, I like the miniaturized Death Star tech. Like it's a way to incorporate the Death Star without. Abusing, using and abusing, like overusing it and just making it seem worthless and meaningless. I don't know. I just, it's weird.
1: Ray and Ben go to fight Palpatine and he, like, drains their life force oh while he's doing it his eyes start to light up and it's the creepiest damn thing i've ever seen in star wars yeah. it is unsettling and if i was a kid that's nightmare fuel um but he gets he gets younger and like his, his skin starts growing back and he he looks up at the armada that lando has brought to help save the day that finally gave the rebellion the hope it needed to really turn the tides against the final order and he's just like nah bitch and puts his hands up in the air and like the sound cuts out for about a half second and then you get this, like... It's like a bass string. Just BOOM! And then electricity. The way he, like, tortured Luke. Times, like, 50 million. And he shoots every freaking ship in the Armada. And he's just blowing up and, and like, EMP bolting ships. Just from, the the, the comfort of his throne. Annihilating one of the largest fleets we've ever seen in a movie. And he's just wrecking them. And it is, in my opinion, the coolest moment in any Star Wars movie... Honorable mentioned vader in Rogue One, but it's incredible.
7: The climactic scene where Palpatine is, I guess, firing the Force Kamehameha up into the sky to destroy uh, the Resistance Fleet, followed by Rey repelling said Force Kamehameha, because Palpatine is Inevitable slash all of the Sith, and Rey is all of the Jedi slash Iron Man.
4: So, my biggest complaint in this movie is the relationship stuff. Like I said, I think that introducing an ex-girlfriend for Poe just so that people can't be like, Poe's gay is dumb. I, I feel like that's the only reason he would, that, that that character was introduced. And he has this little, like, uh, eh? face that he makes towards her at the celebration. And I don't know. It just felt overdone to me. Uh, and then you have, like, Ray and Ben kiss right before he dies. That was gross. Ew, don't kiss Kylo Ren. Like, I get that you want him to have a redemption story, but her calling him Ben? That was the redemption. She doesn't need to then smooch him to death. Ugh. And then Finn and Poe should have kissed. I mean, like, they they clearly don't want him to be gay, but they should have kissed, and it looked like they were about to. And instead, right when you think they're about to kiss in the background, you're like, oh, look, here's a same-sex couple. They're kissing in the background. See, look, we have inclusivity in our movies, and... It just bums me out, man. The the Star Wars Extended Universe stuff is so good about, like, actually having inclusivity, and the movies are just not very good at it. So, yeah, I just... Every relationship thing. The relationships that were there I didn't like, and the ones that they passed over I was disappointed by.
2: <sighs> My favorite light side moment is the reveal that Finn is Force-sensitive. It's very subtle and... It had to be confirmed later by J.J. Abrams that that's actually what was going on. But I like the idea that Finn broke out of being a Stormtrooper because of the Force. And to me, that implies that the other storm previous Stormtroopers we meet, like maybe they are Force-sensitive too. Um, I mean, maybe they are, maybe they aren't, but I like to think they are. I guess we'll find out.
4: So here it is. The end of the franchise, the end of the saga. We got to go back to where it started. We got to go back to Tatooine. Rey's there. She brings Luke's lightsaber. She brings Leia's lightsaber. She bundles them up together. She buries them into the sand. And then she's just looking around like this is it. (sighs) The Emperor was all the Sith. I'm all the Jedi. I don't know what I do next. And then a woman comes by and she's like, this place has been abandoned for so long. What's your name? And Rey's like, I'm Rey. And then she kind of looks around and she sees a force ghost of Luke and Leia. And I really thought we were going to see force ghosts of everybody. I, I thought Hayden Christensen was going to walk up next and then I was expecting Mace Windu. I thought we were going to see Ahsoka. I thought we were going to see like force ghosts of all the Jedi we've seen. But nope, it's just Luke and Leia. And she says Rey Skywalker. Yeah, It didn't really do it for me that much. I don't know why she's Rey Skywalker. It's... I don't know if she said Ray of the skywalkers or something like that. Or if she said, I'm if, if the woman said, what are you? And she said, I'm a Skywalker. Mm, that made me, it was just Ray Skywalker didn't really do it for me. But what did it for me was those twin sons. And her looking out and the music. And there it is. Star Wars. Episode nine, the rise of Skywalker.
1: Uh, where, where Ray goes back to, to, um, Lars. Uh, Oh my God. What is it? Um, Owen and Baru Lars, right? Yeah. Yes, nerd card intact. Okay, so Owen and Lars Baru, she goes back to their house. She buries Luke and Leia's lightsabers at the, the house on Tatooine. The ruins of the house on Tatooine. And while it was pretty cool, that, that was a really cool visual to see, like, it kind of taken back over by the desert and stuff, um, it was also kind of sad. For her to claim as a, star, a Skywalker, I don't know, man. It just felt really hollow to me. It didn't feel earned. Um, I like the idea quite a lot. I thought that was a really cool way to end the story. But... When you think about it, she spent like, what, a couple weeks tops, maybe, maybe that long. I don't think it was that long on uh, Octo or Octo with Luke, where he was kind of a crappy master. Like he, I mean, he taught her some stuff, but he really just kind of like ignored her and let her fend for herself and didn't really treat her very well. I can't really see why she would feel any connection to him other than he's my only window into this world that I'm being constantly exposed to and just don't know what I'm doing. Luke can help me. And I guess in some small ways he did, but he he was no, you know, even Obi-Wan for what nothing he did for Luke uh, did more for for Luke, I think, than Luke did for Rey. At least it felt like that to me. Um, And then Leia, I guess, you know, she was training with Leia between movies. Um, There was a lot of stuff to happen between episode eight and episode nine that would have been nice to see on screen. But um, I don't know her calling herself a Skywalker didn't feel earned to me.
0: I really do like that moment at the very end of the movie when Rey has that moment where uh, the old woman asks her, who are you? And she kind of stops for a second uh, or she says, Rey, and uh, the old lady says, Ray who? And she has to think about it. And it's this moment where she kind of like rejects her heritage and embraces the Skywalker legacy. Uh, and I thought that was kind of a cool moment. I really enjoyed this movie. I know everyone's shitting on it right now, but, you know, people were the same way about Return of the Jedi. Overall, though, considering the impossible task of wrapping up the entire series, I I gotta give it to Abrams. I think he absolutely crushed it. There's so much to love about this entry. There's force healing uh, Leia's saber, that whole flashback, and, uh, of course, Dark Ray. I
1: mean, yeah, it was it was a quick scene, but it was pretty cool. For a series that has meant so much to so many people and not that star wars is going away so this isn't like a eulogy but a chapter of that book is over and it's a chapter we're never going to revisit in the way that we have and it's the chapter that we've all
4: grown up reading so it's sad that it's over so yeah overall i like this movie i do think that it felt like J.J. Abrams was trying really hard to do everything he wanted to do in a Star Wars movie, including stuff with Leia that maybe it would have been better to not do, considering that the actress playing Leia had passed away. Eh. Um, it also felt like he kind of abandoned some things that were in The Last Jedi that I really liked. Uh, that kid at the very end of the Last Jedi who, who used the Force to pick up the broom, I think it would have been cool if we saw some connection with that. I get that that's not what this movie's about, but... Yeah, it just it just felt a little bit like they kind of walked things back from the last Jedi a little bit more than I would have liked them to. I kind of feel like this was his episode 8 and episode 9 all at once, all in one movie. But you know what? It still felt like Star Wars and I still liked it. I think it was a satisfying ending to the Skywalker saga, but I real hope really really hope that we get more Star Wars. Um, more Star Wars movies later on. I I know Ryan Johnson at one point was going to be directing a trilogy. I know the guys who made Game of Thrones at one point were going to be directing some movies. But right now, Mandalorian over on Disney Plus is some excellent Star Wars. So if that's the quality of TV show we're getting, I'm okay if the, the movies go away for a little while. And I'm satisfied with this as an ending to that saga. So going through this,
8: I guess... You know, I didn't think about this too much. I'm kind of walking through it here. I guess I can summarize it by... I hit a bunch of criticisms here, and I didn't really talk about the high points. And there were high points here. But I think the reason that I'm not hitting those high points is because all so often they felt like they were references back to the originals. The space battle was not that much different than Return of the Jedi, if you look at it the way... You know, the villainous Palpatine, he opens up the window to look out at the resistance failing, you know, hope is at a loss, and then the rise and redemption of Darth Vader slash Kylo Ren. You have maybe one of my kind of moments that brought the emotion to me is that they use the amazing musical note from Empire Strikes Back when uh, Yoda raises the X-Wing. Um, Here, it's Luke doing it. That's great. I loved it. But it's just, hey, remember when this was awesome, the first time you saw it when you were six years old? Ray taking the lightsabers back to Tatooine, because, I guess, Alderaan is toast and she couldn't take it anywhere else. Like, it has to end on Tatooine. Like, I guess, because it's like a bookend and it's all poetry, right? But we did just do that also in you know, revenge of the Sith. So I don't know why we had to do it back here. So, yeah, these were all good moments. They just weren't necessarily original. So I think maybe here it is. My final summary of this is that it's going to be, it was a really, really damn good fan film. JJ clearly is a fan of the originals. We all were. And he wanted to make a love letter to them, which is great It's an homage to those originals, rather than a fresh, daring take. Hmm. Oh, well, it was fun. I did love that cast. That's it. A very admirable job in the last three films
1: of doing a very difficult thing. And that's continuing the story that everybody grew up and always had their own versions of what could happen and their own ideas of what would happen. And then at the same time, tying that into a new story. At the end of the day, episode nine represents everything about episode seven and eight that I love and everything about seven and eight that I don't like. And it's a tremendous story that we'll all be revisiting probably for as long as we live. Until then, we can be satisfied knowing that shows like The Mandalorian exist. We got the Obi-Wan show coming up. Apparently some new trilogies on the horizon. So Star Wars is doing just fine. It's sad we'll never see Luke, Leia, and Han again, or R2 and Chewie and C three PO, or Kylo Ren, or Darth Vader, or Ray, or Finn or Poe, or any of your favorite characters. Um What's not sad is that we won't see the Ewoks again.
7: This was a good way to close out the new trilogy. And overall, like looking at the three movies together, I can't say now whether I would where I would rank the new trilogy movies relative to the original trilogy. Mostly because I am gonna need, like, some time for it all to sink in and a couple more rewatches, I think, before I make that judgment. Um, I'm not gonna make, like, a whole bunch of people have on Twitter and, like, come up with a numerical ranking of all the different Star Wars episodes just because... The original trilogy is so deeply embedded in the minds of so many nerds, myself included, that it's it's going to be hard to get a proper perspective on them, I think, for some time. But I will say that when there is an episode 10, and of course they dropped a million different hints that there's going to be an episode 10, it can't be the same Jedi versus Sith conflict that we've seen again... Somehow, it has to go, I think, even more meta or more outside the box than The Last Jedi did and fundamentally rethink the core conflict of this universe because, honestly, it's just feeling played out. Like, you've done the shtick of, oh, here's this moment from A New Hope or The Empire Strikes Back that you in the audience remember, right? But hey, we're gonna do our own little spin on it. Yes, it was good. It was entertaining in these last three movies, but it's it's done, folks. It's worn out. It's welcome, and that's why, really, there's no quote. Uh, despite the many good moments in Rise of Skywalker, that sticks out to me more than a quote that isn't even in the movie. It's in the Last Jedi, when Kylo Ren says, "Let go of the past. Kill it if you must." And fortunately, you know, the last scene is of Rey burying Luke and Leia's lightsabers. That's great, and I very much hope that in the next Star Wars, what they've done is set things up so that it's still the same, you know, galaxy far, far away a long, long time ago that we all knew and loved, but the game is fundamentally changed. So although I
2: didn't really like this movie that much, I still want to see more Star Wars, and I think in the future, the further we can get away from the original trilogy, the better? Um, at least for a time, like maybe we can jump back to it later, but I, I think just getting away from all of the characters we know and love would be good and seeing like new people, it would expand the universe, make it seem like a more thriving living place. And, and I just think it would be better for star Wars fans. Like if you can't have nostalgia for things, you know, you, it's, you get less complaints. And I just, I really hope that they plan things better in the future and we just get a story that's, like, tighter and, you know, has a beginning, middle, end, and it's just not completely made up as we go. I know the MCU MCU is obviously made up as they go to a large extent, but there's, like, a guiding hand, like, it's going in a direction, and I want to see that in Star Wars.
5: So, for the future of Star Wars... Obviously Skywalker Saga is done, so I kind of would like to step away from this time period. I mean, I guess not counting The Mandalorian, since that's already right smack in the middle. But for movies going forward, I would love to see either 20, 30, 40 years in the future with Rey having started the Jedi Academy and training a new generation of Jedi. And I want to see the Jedi again be the Guardians of Peace, not in the middle of all these wars. Or go backwards to, like, Knights of the Old Republic era, where we have Jedi in their full glory. Um, And then, of course, Disney Plus series seems to be the way things are going. We'll have the Kenobi series soon, which is awesome. Um, I would love to see more series like that, focused on certain characters, seems like a very fan friendly way to go. It's a lot easier to like just sit and watch it at home than to make a whole fanfare event about it. So obviously there's gonna continue being books, comics, and all kinds of stuff so it'll be very interesting I'd say in the next couple years to see what kind of plans Lucasfilm has in store.
3: Podcasters Assemble, Probably, Season 2, The Rise of Podcast, is a production of the We Can Make This Work Probably Podcast Network. This episode edited and produced by Tyler. Find more of our shows at probablywork.com and learn how to contribute to future episodes of Podcasters Assemble, Probably by looking us up on Twitter at Casters Assembled. Submissions are always open. Thank you to everyone who was able to contribute to this episode. Be sure to check the show notes for links to places where you can find them all online. Podcasters assembled probably will return in...
8: (gasps)
7: assemble, podcasters assemble.